playing Paul, and good to see the rest of you this morning. Let's take our Bibles this morning. I'm getting better at that morning afternoon thing. I'm going to get there. Well, Larry, you're going to start starting. How old are you? Another hour. So did everybody, did everybody have their, well, of course, our, our phones kind of set it for us, doesn't it, don't they? But <laughs> I was struggling. Oh, good shape. Remember? Not so much. <laughs> I was talking to Lewis. Your mother missed that one. Do you remember, do you remember that? I don't know if you do, but your I mother don't. missed it. She did she? Yeah. Came in late? Yeah. Let's turn to the book of Acts. We continue on. We're beginning at verse 12 today through the end of chapter 1. It's maybe the precursor, if you will, to the beginning of the church age. The Pentecost, if you will, was about to happen. Jesus had just left them, ascended into heaven. I wonder what that would have been like for the disciples. Um, Wow, right? I've been with him for three years, listening to him teach walk and talk and touched him, watched him do really cool stuff like make happy meals for 5,000 people, right? You think of that. He's got a fish and he's got two pieces of bread and all of a sudden he's feeding 5,000 people. That's a McDonald's on steroids. <laughs> and it was good. And it was good. <laughs> she's, pulled some, she's pulled some stuff off. But to think... They would have watched him ascend into the air. Now, that was after he had been risen from the dead. For 40 days, they would have been taught by him. I think that's really what would have been amazing. In Luke chapter 24, which here we are at Acts, and Luke wrote, wrote the book of Luke, and he continues on in the book of Acts. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, it says that Jesus opened the scriptures in his resurrected body. He was like, you guys didn't get this. Here's what's really going on in the Old Testament. This is all fulfillment of Scripture. And then to watch him go, though. <laughs> what did you? Ah, no, not yet. Wait, wait. But it was all part of the plan. Because he had said earlier, I must go so the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, can come. And now he said, just wait. Hurry up and wait. Have you ever heard that before? Or in the waiting room. Well, let's go, go ahead and say, and Jesus has just left them. Verse 12, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. When they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Zealot, Simon the Zealot and Judas, the brother of James. All these, I'm sorry, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy, Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. It was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, and insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue a Caladama, 
Akeldama, I'm sorry, Akeldama, that is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and no man dwell therein. And Abishabit take another take. Whereof these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taking up, taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. They appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen that they may be take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Mattathias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we are so thankful that you're here with us. Father, that the Holy Spirit, we're asking, would exclusively teach us. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the gift that Jesus Christ laid down his life willingly. With joy, it says, he endured the cross. Ultimately, we would be rejoined in fellowship, that which had been lost way back in the Garden of Eden. As Adam and Eve sinned, placing self on the throne of their life, replacing you. But Jesus took it all, all upon himself, the wrath, Father, of the, of the punishment of sin he bore. Here we are, Father, in the beginning, not quite even the beginning of the church. Jesus has ascended. The disciples are in one accord, gathered together in an upper room. You take our thoughts, take our minds, show us where you want us to be. We'll ask that you would be glorified and we would look just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Acts is that bridge, if you will, between the, the Gospels and Romans. Uh, I've said it a couple of different times we've been gathered here. What would it be like if you flipped from John, you finished the, apostle, uh, the Gospel of John, and you just rolled right into Romans, no Acts? That would be weird, wouldn't it? How did, how did the church get to Rome? It would be really, really strange. If you pull Acts out of your Bible and you say, what did we miss? A lot would be the answer, a lot. What's going on here? Jesus has given them the biggest commission, the biggest challenge that they have ever could have even imagined. The whole world they've been asked now to witness to. And we, they told us how many are there at this place. 120. To do the whole world. And those that have done some math said that there was one person in the room for every 30,000 Jews just in the land of Israel. One to 30,000. What if we told you, okay, we've got a group here today. Okay, you guys are responsible, each one of you, for 30,000. Go get them witness to. 30,000? <laughs> it's a big job, isn't it? How many, how many people live in Butte? What is the population of Butte? What would you guess? Oh, 30, 35? 30? I was, I was going with 30 because I was like, maybe close. So, Ernie, your job is to evangelize Butte. <laughs> that sounds like mission impossible, doesn't it? And that's why literally it was important that the disciples 
do the next thing, and that is there's no way that they could give the right message. Remember all those notes we had on the board last week? Anybody take notes last week? Yeah. We had the right message. Yep, the right confidence. In other words, to see Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That would do it. See, you know, if Ernie's job is to go witness, to be the witness or to evangelize Butte, one of the things would be very, very, very important is I could get, we could give him the message. And the message is Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again according to the Scriptures. That's a fantastic message. That's as condensed as you can make it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It doesn't get any tighter than that. And it starts way back before there was even a world. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And he, God, chose us, that's those that have accepted Christ, in him, Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. That is amazing to me. That is love beyond what I could possibly even begin to describe. Before he made it all, and he knew what would happen, he still decided to send his very son to die for us so that we could be rejoined. I, that, that is as big as it gets. But Ernie probably, st- that's a great message, but i got to have confidence in it. What confidence is that? Seeing Jesus Christ in a risen form. Seeing him rise from the dead. Uh, we were actually, we were gathered last night, and we gave Ernie a brother that he didn't believe in. His name was Fred. You guys didn't know he had another, bro- had another son named Fred, did you? <laughs> but we made him up because we wanted Ernie to be able to see the same thing, or we were gathered there last night, to see essentially that without having confidence in the message, the message really doesn't go very far. But what was it? Uh, we'll see this in a, actually, let's just dive right in. Uh, let's see who's here at this meeting. Let's see who's here at this meeting. Jesus has left. They now, they describe for it. And where did that take place? The Mount Olivet. Literally the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ left, I would, I'm assuming on the east side of it, because he was facing towards Bethany. Bethany was five miles from, Laramie, could you uh, maybe just throw a map on the, on the wall here, we'll, we'll kind of just define ourselves a little bit better. But at any rate, uh, the Mount Olivet was a very distinct place. It's where Jesus left, and it will literally be coming. When he comes again, which he's coming again. Now, remember the two guys, the two guys, uh, the two angels said, he will come in like form. He's going he's gonna to land on the same place at the second coming. And that second coming is when he literally hits the earth. Now, there's another event that is imminent. It does not matter of any sign. We're not waiting for anything. Everyone in this room, literally, before I finish this sentence, if, you're, if you've trusted Christ, could be gathered up in what's called the rapture, the snatching away. No, that word's not in the scriptures. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, literally tells us about meeting him where? On the Mount of Olives? No, in the air. There are two very distinct time, time frames. That one is coming, I think, really quick. It's not very far away if you start to see how everything is lining up, a particular revelation. So let me, uh, Paul, you, well, no, I'm, I'm not saying they're not. They're not, um, but there were four of them. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'll just point. So um, if you noticed right here is Mount Olives. That's where he left. It would be just outside of Jerusalem. In fact, it tells us in our text, let's go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Then they returned, they, unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. That's where they were at, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now, how many of you traveled a Sabbath day's journey? 
<laughs> it, it actually became a form of measurement, literally, uh, because of the, how the, the, old t the priests and the religious leaders had kind of added to it. But it probably came from Exodus as you would have had the 12 tribes surrounding the tabernacle, okay? And it was very clearly defined. You were not to do any excess or any additional travel on the Sabbath because that was a day of worship. But somewhere, if you think about it, let's say you were in the tribe. I don't know how they were lined out right now. We could go and find it. But the tabernacle was in the middle. And then they had those, each one of those 12 tribes designated their spot. When you landed, that tribe was in relationship to the tabernacle. You were there, okay? Good enough? Well, obviously, if you're coming to the tabernacle to worship, you've got to walk something. You've got to walk some distance. So they calculated that the maximum amount uh, of distance that would be if you were the furthest tribe out from the furthest out, that you would have a Sabbath day's journey, which would be about 3,000 feet. But what's happened at this point is literally you could say two Sabbath day's journeys, and that would be a little over a mile. It became more of a standard than it was literally a pre, uh, what should I say, a legalized distance. But if you took that, which is why it's stated, and why are they telling all of this? This is pretty clear, isn't it? The disciples would have known where this is at. Who, who was Luke writing to? Verse 1, Theophilus. He was a Gentile, probably a higher-up political figure. So for him, they wanted to make, Luke wanted to make sure that he understood totally what was going on. Hey, we were at the Mount of Olives. We came back to Jerusalem, which from that distance would be about a Sabbath day's journey, which would be about 3,000 feet, a little over half a mile. Now they've come back inside the city of Jerusalem. Then what? It says that they were in verse 13. They had come in and they were in an upper room. Now I actually would like to believe, I can't prove it, but the upper room of which the disciples would have gathered with Jesus at the Passover, it's very likely. Do you have, Laramie, do you have the one of the city of Jerusalem? Just throw that one out here. So now we'll, we'll ta take it uh, to another level, condensed. Okay, so here we go. So our, uh, the, uh, the Mount, of Mount Olives would be off to, if, as I'm facing the map, to the right, okay? They're coming in, and it's thought to be a potential that the upper room where the disciples met for Passover was there. Now, it's also told to us that it's an upper room. Does that mean there's only one? Well, of course not. But it would have been one probably in a situation that would be rather large, because how many people do we have here? 120. So let's pick that up as we go. When they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter, and names all of the apostles, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. Not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Let's stop there for a moment. Um, Well, I mean, I just, I'm not even, okay, so let's, let's go to something that I think is really important. There's something going to happen on this day as they're waiting. Going back to verse 4, Acts chapter 1, it says, Jesus said, you're not going to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. What are you going to do while you're waiting? What do you guys do when you wait? How many of you love to wait? I can't wait for tomorrow. What do we do when we wait? What did you say? Eat. <laughs> Passing the time, right? Yeah, whatever it takes. It's amazing how easy it is to eat while you're waiting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, take the food away from me. Get in anxious. That's a real answer, isn't it? A lot of times when we have time on our hands, it's an easy way to become very, very anxious. 
Another word is worry. Jesus was pretty clear about that, wasn't he? Don't be anxious for anything. In everything, prayer, isn't it? He actually sets this up perfectly. It was almost like I think he told the disciples, while you're waiting, why don't you go ahead and try praying? Now think of this. This is the first time, literally, that they would have prayed with Jesus not being there. And you say, yeah, but he was, when he was crucified, yeah, I get that. But he came back. Before he was ascended, for 40 days, he was with them, right, in and out. But this time, they know he's gone. Well, how will they do that? That relationship between God and them continued to even be more steadfast through prayer. And the really cool thing is, remember the last time, let's, let's go to the upper room. That's why I want, it, I want it to be the same upper room, whether it is or not. But let's just imagine. So they're in the upper room. Okay, it's Passover. It hasn't been that far long before, so approximately it would have been 45 days. They're there. What were they doing 45 days before in the same room? <laughs> okay, you got me. <laughs> Absolutely, they were eating. Okay, and what else were they doing? Arguing on That's exactly right. They were arguing on who would be the first and the best in the kingdom. That must have been fun for Jesus. He's literally hours away from, from being crucified. I mean, talk about, guys, this is, I really need you right now. I need you to focus. I'm going to be better than you. No, no, no. I will be higher than you. I can't wait for the kingdom to come. It was like the Old Testament was to them was just literally an unfolding of Israel conquering their enemies. That's what it was all about. And what did Jesus do? We've said this a lot of times. It's actually one of the most precious things is Jesus showed his love by literally washing the disciples' feet. That had to silence the crowd, right? Like, whoa, what is he washing our feet for? Isn't he the master? Isn't he like the one in charge? Isn't he like... And then Peter, of course, being that one, he said, well, <laughs> you're not going to wash my feet. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not. Well, he said, then you have no part. Of it. Well, then wash me all. Give me a shower. Give me a bath. Go touch it. Right. That's how Peter was. He was just one way or the other. But did you notice something very different about being in this upper room this time, 45 days later, approximately? Did you see it? I've got an underline in my Bible. Let's go there. Let's go to, to Acts chapter 1 once again. And in verse 14, it says, these all, he named the disciples. They all continued with one accord. They are literally in unison together in prayer and supplication. Now, it also goes on to mention with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now, the women, we could actually, they, we've tracked them through the crucifixion. Those of you that have been with us and we went through the, the, the Gospel of Mark and kind of the, the corollary parallels, that literally there was a group of them that, from Galilee that followed Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Cliffus. There was Salome, right, the mother of James and John, which actually ended up as we tracked that through. Remember, that was kind of cool. Um, they were cousins, half-cousins of Jesus Christ. Salome was the sister of Mary. Think of that. Those are the women. Now, who else was there? Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's at a prayer meeting praying to God, right? That's kind of cool. It's the last time you'll see her mentioned in Scripture. It's the one and only. Uh, it's the last time. 
it's pretty evident that literally Mary needs a savior as well, right? She's not the redeemer. She needs to be redeemed, right? She's praying to to God in one accord. And the really cool thing is his, it's almost like an afterthought. It says in verse 14, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, make sure you know which Mary it is, and with his brethren. Who's his brethren? Who's his brethren? What do we know about them? They didn't believe. Let's, let's look at some passages of Scripture and find out what they really believed about Jesus. So let's go to dun-dun-dun. Uh, I have it somewhere. Oh, there, there it is. Let's go to John chapter 7. Just flip back, just uh, the next book back, John chapter 7. Let's get an idea of how. Now, if you grew up in Jesus' home, and we know that there's four brothers, at least four brothers and at least two sisters. Um, beyond that, we're not positive of, of the total number of siblings he has. But, okay, <clears throat> how would you like to have grown up in Jesus' house? You have Joseph and Mary. Jesus is the oldest. And then you have you know, the rest of the siblings. What would a breakfast look like? Uh, Jesus, would you pray? <laughs> right? It would have been pretty simple, right? And, oh, Mom, don't ask me to pray after that. <laughs> Right? It would have been hard. I mean, let's be honest. It would have been really, really difficult. You are living in the house that the Son of God lives in that doesn't do anything wrong. And in case you were doubting that, Mother reminds you of that. We know it couldn't have been him. It had to be one of you. (laughs) How did you receive that? Probably would have been somewhat. I just popped in my head, but I think of another family in the Old Testament. Joseph was where I was going, but Cain and Abel would have been. That, that's, that's actually not bad. But let's think about Joseph. He's got 11 brothers, right? And dad loves Joseph. <laughs> and he tells them that every single day by Joseph, put your coat on. What coat? Well, the one that's really cool. It's like many colors, and it's better than any of the other guys have. What does that do to family relations? <laughs> oh, my goodness, right? Now, I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that Joseph and Mary would have done anything improperly with Jesus as being their son. Mary's son, Joseph's stepson, if you will, was not his son but cared for him as, as well as anyone. We also know that Joseph, somewhere along the line, has, had passed away. He's not here. He's not even in the time that Jesus' ministry had started. He was gone. But let's see how the, how, the, how the family, what they thought about Jesus. John chapter 7, and let's take a look at verse 5. Actually, we'll start in verse 1. Uh, Verse 1, chapter 7 of John. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. This is early on. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that thou doest. Okay? For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. But look at verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. 
Now they're seeing this stuff. Why, why wouldn't they believe in him? What is it? Let's go to Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. It names them. It, we see how many brothers there are. Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. Mark 6, 3. <clears throat> and we'll start in verse 1. Uh, he's in his home country. Verse 1, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things, and what wisdom in this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judah, Jude, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So it lists four brothers, and we find it in another passage as well. So he has four brothers. Who are they? James, Joseph, Jude, and, and the last one was Simon. Okay, so those are those four brothers. They don't believe in him. They think he's a fraud. Now, I don't know how. How would you follow him around, right? I mean, well, some of it had to probably do with just pure old raw jealousy. It's amazing what jealousy can do. It can actually blind you to the truth. And someone that gets engaged in it, you can see that happening, can't you? Bitterness and jealousy have an enormous amount of power in the lives of people. I have to believe that's probably what it was. Now, incidentally, their mother, as time goes on, the ministry goes for three years, and it culminates in the crucifixion. His mother, moms, I don't know how you can do that. How would you stand at the foot of the cross and your son is being crucified? Hi, 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 But she's there. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, did you see it? Did you catch it? The crucifixion, they're not there. Their mother is. But now it's mom and his brethren are at this prayer meeting, post-ascension. What's the difference? What happened? How do you get four brothers to get there after they basically disputed who he was? What happened? Something must have happened. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's take a look. Again, I, I just love to read. This is, this is tr truly the most condensed version of the gospel. Um, I was saying to somewhere, in, uh, somewhere, I don't know where we were at. Maybe it was a Bible study somewhere this week. And if, if, if you got in an airplane and somebody sat, or you sat down beside somebody just to, you know, just right there in your seat, there's something cool about an airplane. It's almost like being uh, like Paul. I mean, you know, like think of this. Who's the prisoner? So Paul goes to Rome, right? And they've got him chained to the, the household of Caesar. Or, you know, he's, a, he's just chained to them. So... He can't get away. No, it was so that person couldn't get away from Paul is probably how he saw it. And you know what? The whole household of Caesar, I'm being careful of the whole word whole, they trusted Christ because Paul witnessed to them because they couldn't get away from him. Sometimes airplanes are like that. And there's some people, you know, they just, you, you know pretty early on, they don't want to talk during this flight, right? But there are others, you know, you can kind of open it up and you can get going, right? Um, it's amazing, and I, I could write probably a book about people that I've sat next to uh, on airplanes. I remember there was one, uh, one young lady that was going through a really, really difficult time. 
Actually, a divorce was on her. And, and by the end of it, I was praying with her, and I got her a Bible, and I sent it to her, and then she wrote a quick note coming back. Larry, thank you so much. Well, that's, a, that's an airplane event, right? And it's, it's like you're both there. You can't go anywhere, right? You're there. You're locked in. And I think 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is one of those that sometimes when you don't know what to say, you get to the gospel. What do you believe? This is so concise. This is one you need to support by memory, verses 3 and 4. So let's read it again. That person that wants to know what is it the gospel is. And now, oh, there we go. This is my favorite place for my glasses, apparently, on the piano. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I delivered unto you, Paul saying, that that which I also received of how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's it in a nutshell. And that he was seen of Cephas. Now, this is the meat. This is the confidence we were talking about. That he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. That's a big deal of whom the greater part remain under this present, some are fallen asleep. In other words, of the group of which Paul is writing to in Corinth, most of them are still living. So he, they could deny what he's saying if it wasn't true, or they could give credence to it. Now keep going. After that, he was seen of who? James. And then all of the apostles. James? You mean like Jesus' brother James? The one that we saw in Mark chapter 6, verse 3? Yes. That James. <laughs> All right, let's play this out. Uh, I was going to open the door, but no, Jesus walked through the door, I'm sure, and James. Oh, bro, how's it going? <laughs> right. Jesus, you're so alive. Mom, this is crazy. You are alive. Like, you're. you're what? What is. That would have an impact on me. It would have an impact on all of us, wouldn't it? I'm convinced that was the event, literally, as James told the rest of his brothers, guys, he's the deal. I just saw him in real life. He's really risen from the dead. That's the impact that that would have. Now, the four brothers are in the room with their mother. I want to take just a few moments. I don't want to get too far, too bogged down in it. But um, when we when we think of Mary, and this is the last time we see her, we've already kind of alluded. Let's come back to her for a moment. Um, Mary. Well, in fact, let's go to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. It would be uh, Matthew chapter one, and I think about verse. Or no, I'm sorry, Luke. Luke. I'm so sorry. Luke. Turn to Luke chapter one, and let's take a look at verse forty-six. I know we're just diving in, but these are. These are Mary's time, shall we say, and verse 34, let's see, what did I just tell you, 46, right? Yep. Okay, so let's, um, verse 42, let's just go there. She spake with a loud voice, verse 42, and said, blessed art thou among women. This is uh, Elizabeth talking to, to Mary. Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, and whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, who? My Savior. It's 
very clear, Mary needs a savior. I'm saying this because there's the, what I would call the mother-child cult imagery that's been going on literally for thousands of years. But it didn't start with Mary and Jesus. They're not co-redeemers. That wasn't where it started. In fact, I'd like to spend just a few moments and let's find literally where it started. You'll find it back in Genesis chapter 10. There was a man by the name of Nimrod. Let's go to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10. We'll take just a few moments to do this. This is a branch, as we say in various places. Right, Ernie? We have a, we're on a branch. Uh, Genesis chapter 10. And this man that we're going to talk about in verse, we find him in verse 8. And Cush, who is a son of Ham. Remember, you got the flood, right? Noah and how many sons? Three. Ham was the one that was a challenge, right? I mean, of the boys that Noah raised, Ham was the one that was, he was always out there, a little bit more rebellious. He was a challenge, shall we say. And it says that Cush, verse 8, begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is even said, is Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord? And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Babel. What do you guys know about Babel? Or Shinar, or Babylon. What do you know about that? Chapter 11 is all about it. It was actually the first God was created. Think about this for a moment. So, and it's actually Nimrod that started all of this. He was, uh, he was that idolater. He was the beginning of that. And Nimrod said, you know what? I think if we built a tower and we went up to God, we could literally, I mean, it would be so amazing. And they come together and they build this massive tower and they say, that's going to replace God. Boy, there's been a lot of that going on lately, hasn't there? And ultimately, God said, we, this, is, this is going nowhere. This is a problem. So he gives them all different languages. How is that showing up for work the next day? One guy speaks in Japanese and one guy in English. And, well, they didn't. But you understand what I'm saying. It was like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> in fact, what it did is it dispersed all of those different peoples across the world. Guess what happened with that? The same message of idolatry spread through the entire region. Now, Nimrod... Through tradition, he had his wife. His wife's name was Semiramis, S-E-M-I-R-A-M-I-S, Semiramis. Semiramis would have been that person that would have kind of been the occultic goddess, if you will. And she supposedly had a son. Are you ready? It gets weird now. She had a son, and his name was Tamuz, T-A-M-M-U-Z. You want me to write stuff down? Makes it easier, for me anyway. Uh, Tamuz. Now, it depended on what part of the world you were in because this story was really circulating. Why? Because the Tower of Babel would have spread all of these to different, different regions. So we have Semiramis. And this is, this is the mother and her son. Ready? Uh, supposedly, Tamaz was conceived by a sunbeam. So she was a virgin through her entire life. And Tamaz was her son, which was conceived by a sunbeam. Now, unfortunately, that later in his life, Tamaz, the son, was killed by a wild boar. So, Semiramis, for 40 days straight, carried on with mourning and weeping and self-denial. What does that sound like? Lent is where that came from. Do you see how old some of this stuff is? And guess what? After 40 days, guess who rose from the dead? Tamos. 
This didn't start with Mary and Jesus. This started at the Tower of Babel. In fact, the words, and these are words that you may have heard of, but in Assyria, she would have been Ishtar. In Phoenicia, she would have been Ashtaroth. Guess who her son is? Baal. All of these words are Old Testament, aren't they? In Egypt, she would have been Isis. Her son was Osiris. In Greece, it was Aphrodite, and her son was Eros. Get this one. In Rome, her name would have been Venus. Guess who her son was? Oh, you guys were too slow. Okay, let's try, let's try it again. So Venus, and you see this little kid flying through the air. Cupid. <laughs> All of them, mother, son. Isn't it crazy? But unless you, fa- unless you think, well, Larry, you're making a lot of that stuff. No, it, if, you, if you go through history, you can find all of this stuff. But let's go to the Bible, and let's literally, for a moment, just see how infiltrated in the Old Testament this whole thing became. Let's go, first of all, to, let's see, where do I want to take you first? Let's go to uh, Jeremiah. Find the book of Jeremiah, chapter 44. Jeremiah 44. The roots of a lot of this stuff is quite amazing. Jeremiah chapter 44, and let's look at verse 15. We're, we're diving in, Jeremiah 44, verse 15. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. We will not hearken unto you, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth and to burn incense unto the queen of heaven. Literally back there in Jeremiah's day when they were captured by the Babylonians, that term, the queen of heaven, had already taken place. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 8. This one here is even more incredible. Ezekiel chapter 8, and let's take a look. Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 13. Here we go. Ezekiel is the prophet. He said unto me, verse 13, He said also unto me, Turn you yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house. This is the temple which was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tamas. Are you kidding me? This is in the Old Testament, and Ezekiel is stating that literally God has taken them to the door of the temple, and the women are weeping for Tamas. (laughs) Ha! Is it any wonder that we get to the Romans and we start to mix child and mother together into a paganistic kind of a ritualistic thing that actually began all, and guess what? When we get all the way to the end of Revelation, I'm going to stop soon on this little branch we're on, but when you get all the way to the end of Revelation, the false religion is where? It's in Babylon. Right where it started in the Tower of Babel. Through the entire course of history, all of those cults, all of those false religions literally Where they started, they are going to end when Jesus Christ comes. When? On the second coming. Isn't it? What a history. What a a deal that we've got going on. Meanwhile, back in Acts, let's go back there for a moment. Acts chapter 1. 
Mary, his four brothers, all of them are here. That would be Ray and his son, my Clippers. They missed it by an hour. <laughs> Ray, Ray Cope, he's here. Came in. So if we go to uh, back to the prayer meeting, if you will, all of a sudden something's going on. They're waiting for, for the Holy Ghost, to, uh, waiting for the Holy Spirit to literally come in place. Hey, Ray, Cody, good to see you. As we get to this point, Peter stands up. He just stands up. So what are, they've got a prayer meeting. They're all in one accord. Can you imagine 120 people in the upper room praying synonymously in one accord, praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon them? Whoa. What would have that been like? And then Jesus' own brothers are there. Again, I, I, just make sure you understand that there's a whole lot of different people here, but there's no vying for attention. There's no vying for ultimate superiority. This is all on the same plane looking for literally the power that Jesus has promised so that we can do our thing and witness to the rest of the world. If there is something for us as a church, not just Ruby Valley Bible Church, but I'm talking the church, is that not the message? Oh, my goodness. And you know the key component is not, they not only believed in themselves now as together, but they believed in prayer, didn't they? When we believe in prayer to that level, things happen. Things happen. And here, Peter now, uh, Peter, he, he, uh, he stands up. Men and brethren, verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up. In other words, we were probably sitting or kneeling in the, in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. In other words, Judas is the one that betrayed or he gave Jesus to the enemy. Now, there's another thing I want to just quickly take a look at. It says the scripture must be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David. Now, that's inspiration. If you were going to talk about scripture inspiration, it would be literally the Holy Spirit speaking through the mouth, in this case, of David. That's exactly what it is. All scripture is given by inspiration. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through that writer, speaking through that person. That's exactly what it is in the original language. So Peter's saying this whole thing about Judas has got to be fulfilled. What, what has to be fulfilled? Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 41 and verse 9. Psalm chapter 41 and verse 9. This is something that David said, speaking forward. And again, where do you think Peter got this from? As Jesus would have opened the scriptures in the, last, in the 40 days prior, I'm sorry, prior to his ascension, post-resurrection, he would have, without a doubt, shared scriptures in the Old Testament. They had no idea what it was. So in... in uh, Psalm chapter 41, verse 9. Yes, it says, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. That is about as clear a prophecy of what Judas Iscariot did. Again, I can't imagine. You talk about a hypocrite? This guy was seasoned. How do you, for three years, walk and talk with Jesus Christ, you're ministering with him. You're all over the land of Israel, and you fooled everyone except Christ. Those disciples had no idea. They thought he was just the same as them. 
He was one of the guys. But that's exactly what happened. So Peter goes on to say, back to Acts, for he was numbered with us, verse 17, and he had obtained part of this ministry. In fact, he'd even go back. Remember when Jesus sent them out to cast out demons? And Judas was part of that. He was all part of it. But it goes on to say, now this man, verse 18, purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. So let's go to Matthew chapter 27 for a moment. And it describes for us the demise of Judas himself. Chapter 27 of Matthew, we begin in verse 1. Matthew 27, 1. When the morning was come, all of the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he, Jesus, was condemned, repented himself. Now that's remorse, because if for what he did, he didn't repent. He was just sorry he got caught, if you will. He brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed. Watch now. I'm going to say it differently. See the difference? I have betrayed the innocent son of God. Didn't say that. He said, I have betrayed innocent blood, period. And they said, what is that to us? And he cast down the, sil the pieces, of silver, pieces of silver in the temple, went out and hanged himself. There was no change of heart here. Repentance is literally turning around going the other way. That's part of salvation. That's part of literally Jesus Christ having died for our sins, being buried, being risen from the dead. The repenting part and asking for forgiveness of our sins is literally the focus of that whole process. Do you see any of that in, in Judas Iscariot? No, I don't see any of it. But you know what he sold Jesus out for in that day in the sense of money? Now, 20 pieces of silver today is probably worth quite a bit. Our dollar isn't worth much. And that's probably 20 bucks. Take a $20 bill, and that's what Jesus Christ was betrayed for. Price of a slave. That's astounding to me. To sell the Son of God out for 20 bucks. Wow. And it says he went out. Matthew says he went out and hanged himself. Now, in Acts, there seems to be, well, wait a minute, which is right? Well, this field, as he would have thrown the 30 pieces of silver down, he hadn't bought the field. But the place that he hanged himself, Alkeldama, right? We saw that word in Acts chapter 1, was a field that literally those priests, we said, we can't put that money back in the treasury because it's blood money. They knew what they'd done. They knew exactly what had happened. For $20, they had sold out the Messiah. Well, we can't put that in the treasury. We have a conscience here. We killed him, but we have a conscience not to take the money that he was betrayed and put it back in the treasury. So let's buy this field of which strangers can be buried in. That's really what it became. That Akeldama was a field of which strangers that had no burying place, had no connections whatsoever, that ended up dying in Israel, in Jerusalem area, they were buried in that field that Judas bought with the money that he betrayed Jesus Christ. That's the place, literally, that he hanged himself. And after a period of time, let your imagination walk, just as it says in Acts. It doesn't, Acts doesn't say that was the way he was killed. But either the branch broke, the rope broke, Judas couldn't die a good knot, ultimately, but when he fell down in a decayed state, literally, he just burst open. That's Judas Iscariot. I had a question asked of me 
uh, several weeks ago. In fact, uh, I'll probably contact that person and say, this is a good chance to catch up on what the Bible says about Judas Iscariot. But the question was, let's go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and it talks about the disciples, the apostles, having 12 thrones and judging the 12 tribes. Luke chapter 22, and let's start in verse 28. This would have been during the time of the Last Supper, if you will. In fact, uh, we should even pick it up. Let's just start in verse 23 because it shows us exactly where they're less than one accord. They began to inquire, verse 23, chapter 22 of Luke, among themselves, which of them should, that should do this thing? He said, somebody's going to betray me. Who is that? And there was also something going on, a strife among them, verse 24, which of them should be accounted the greatest? He said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority unto them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, let him, and he that is chief, he that does serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth? Is it not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you that serveth. You are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me. Now watch. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the question that was asked was, well, Judas was there. He was at that meeting. He was at the Last Supper. Does that mean he's going to be one of the 12 that have been sitting on thrones during the period of the millennium, the thousand-year reign of which literally the apostles will be judging or ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel? The answer is no. Why not? Because he went and hung himself. In fact, let's see what Jesus said about, about uh, Judas. Let's see what, Ju what Jesus said about Judas. Let's take a look. Let's go back to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and verse 12. John 17, 12. <clears throat> while I was with them in the world, John 17, 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, this is a, this is a catch. Let's talk about that for a moment. You know, are, you tell, are you telling me that literally Jesus Christ was betrayed because the scripture said it had to happen? Yes. But who's responsible for Judas making really crummy decisions? Did God make Judas Judas? Judas made Judas Judas. You followed that. That's a little tricky. Judas is responsible for the decisions he made for what he became. And yet, stay with me now. I want you to see how every aspect of the cross, the crucifixion, every part of that was literally fulfilled and it was predetermined. In fact, Peter says it. Let's go to Act, back to Acts for a moment. Acts chapter 2. Now watch this. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. This is God is in control all the time. Verse 23, Peter is actually preaching at Pentecost. We'll be seeing this in a week or two. We're diving into a verse, verse 23, Acts chapter 2. Being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Did you see the responsibility of man? They crucified and slow, they slew Jesus Christ, but it was predetermined 
Predestination to be the word we use. That's a big word, isn't it? And you know what? Predestination, most of the time, people have to talk about. Person, when predestination has more to do with plan. This is a plan that God said would happen. The people that are in it chose to be in it. Every part of what they chose to do makes them responsible for what ultimately the plan happened. Does that make sense? It's bigger than we are, but literally, we're responsible. God's plan is not going to be thwarted. In other words, if there wasn't, let's say it wasn't Judas Iscariot, the scriptures would make sure that it would be fulfilled in one that would betray Jesus Christ, but because it was said. If that was not fulfilled, then you take your Bible and just pitch it out the door. Because if it's wrong once, it's wrong. But it's not. It's not wrong. Spot on. That fulfillment was really predetermined. It was predestinated, the plan that God had for Judas Iscariot, that betrayer. He became personal, and we made all of those choices. Now, I'm still convinced that literally that Judas, when he betrayed Jesus Christ, he was all about money, right? He was the treasurer. He was stealing from the treasury. What a great guy. He must have been a politician. No, I'm not. He was good at it, though. He was good at it. And you know what? The disciples didn't even know it. In fact, when he left one time, they said, oh, he's got to take care of business. He took care of business, all right, his business. Thinking of that, we've got a few of those around, don't we? But what was, why would he sell Jesus out? Now, we know the night that really ticked him off. Um, one of the Marys came to anoint Jesus' body for the burial coming, the, 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 the death and burial coming. And she took, if, are you ready? Guys, if you're buying your wife perfume, uh, this was really the good stuff. In fact, this perfume cost one year's salary. Honey, could we do with less? <laughs> Spikenard was the name of it. But she had a container of Spikenard. And it says she broke it off and she put the whole thing on Jesus. Ha! <laughs> one year's wages. Ah, uh, you know who was freaking out the most? Well, of course, the money guy. Judas Iscariot is losing his mind. Look at the waste. And Jesus says, let her alone because she's preparing me for what's coming. That was the night, though, that he was so mad, he finally went out. He made a deal with the chief priests. But I don't think it's even quite as easy. He had talked himself into this whole line and power and money hunger follows a whole different train of thought that can suck you into another level. Keep in mind, this isn't Judas that just saw Jesus at a seminar and watched him teach and preach about, you know, like Matthew chapter 7. No, 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 no. He lived with him for three years. He watched Jesus' power over nature. He watched, he watched him calm the wind and the sea. That would freak you out. He watched him have power over demons. He had literally seen him in Lazarus's case, just not too many weeks before, raise him from the dead. Judas had to see the power of which was exhibited. So let's think about that. He's money hungry. He's power, he's power hungry. If I could just get Jesus, just get him to channel his energy where it would do some good, we could get somewhere like own the Romans. Jesus has got the power. We just got to get it there. And he apparently is not going to do that himself. So what can we do? Put him in a corner so he can't get away, and then his power will be revealed and exhibited. I think that's what drove him. 
He's just going to step back and say, we'll put Jesus in a really bad spot and he's going to just come out and we will see him win. But that's why Matthew chapter 27 is such an alarm to him. He saw that he literally was being condemned, that he would be crucified. And that's when he said, ah, it's not going to work out. But he never repented of who he betrayed. Mark that carefully. In fact, Jesus, there's another passage we should look at real quickly. Um, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. This is Jesus' words. Because the question was, uh, if, one was if, if Judas was going to be one of those 12, in fact, there was a deeper question was, is he in heaven or is he in hell? Did he repent? Uh, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus' own words, verse 24, he says this. You, you, can, you can read between the lines, if you will. He answered and said, verse 23 of chapter 26 of Matthew, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. He had just said, someone's going to betray me at the path. And he's, who is that? And he says, that same one. And then verse 24, watch. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Judas Iscariot is definitely bound for hell. That's the master saying that. There was no repentance, there was remorse, only sorrow that he got caught. And Peter is saying, you know what, not only is the, does the scripture have to be fulfilled, this is really key now, not only does the scripture have to be fulfilled literally for the betrayer to do his job, but we also have to fulfill the slot of which the betrayer has left to be fulfilled. This was the last step, and this is part of the waiting. Let's watch it happen now in Acts. Acts chapter 1. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, and let's watch it. Peter is going to bring us to two more prophecies that literally tell us that the Scripture must be fulfilled for the twelve before they can get the power of the Holy Spirit. It was known unto, let's see, which verse were we in? Verse 19, there we go. It was known unto all... Acts chapter 1, verse 19. It was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch that that field is called in their proper tongue a Chaldema, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let, let another take. So we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. Hold your place in Acts, and let's go to Psalm chapter 69. Psalm chapter 69, it speaks of what would happen to Judas from David's inspiration. In Psalm chapter 69, verse 25. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. He's, he would lose his place, if you will. He would lose his place. Then turn to Psalm chapter 109 and verse 8. Psalm 109, 8. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Now, where do, you think, where do you think Peter would have gotten this from? From again, in Luke chapter 24, verses 45, it says that Jesus literally opened the scriptures and all of the Old Testament prophecies. This is where Jesus would have said, right here is what needs to happen. Right here, Judas is in that verse. Right here, you have to have Judas replaced. So that's what's taking place. Acts chapter 1, let's go back. Let's watch the selection of Judas's replacement. 
Wherefore of these men, verse 21, and because the scriptures need to be fulfilled, these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out of us, beginning from the baptism of John until that same day he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they pointed to Joseph called Barsabbas. Now that's not Barabbas. That's not the guy that was that, that Jesus literally was, or he was acquitted because Jesus took his pot. This is Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Mattathias. So we have two men that are qualified to take Judas's position. Now, if somebody says that they're an apostle today, uh, that's a timeout. A true biblical apostle would be someone that had seen Jesus from the time period of which he was baptized by John the Baptist, all the way through his ministry, all the way through his crucifixion, and all the way ultimately to his ascension. From baptism to ascension. If a person saw that, they were qualified to be an apostle. Now, I don't think there's very many living today that are qualified to be an apostle. Correct? <laughs> and then secondly, we could go back and see in the Gospels that literally every one of those disciples were personally chosen by Jesus Christ. Personally chosen. Now, the way this is going to happen, this is the last time. Uh, when is the last time you flipped a coin? I don't even have one. I was going to do it. <laughs> I'm coinless. But what Peter is suggesting is here's two men. We don't know which one is best. He's asking through prayer. This has been part of this prayer meeting. Is we want you, Lord God, to choose the, one of these two. Now, in, in Proverbs, you can just write this down. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 30, 33 is casting lots was the way God, in 70 times it's spoken of in the Old Testament, seven times in the New Testament. This is the last time that casting lots is ever done again in the New Testament. But this is not, we're still not really at the beginning of the church. Pentecost hasn't happened. But it would be just like it could have been the length of a stick. It could have been having the name uh, in, in, a, in a, uh, like a rock. And the first one to fall out would be that one. Or it could be the most modern day I can think of is to flip a coin. I would have said, okay, we got two guys that are very qualified, Mattathias and Justice, or depending on which name you want to use. So we're going to flip a coin. Now, what the disciples did, we're not positive of. It could have been just drawing a stick and the longest one won. We, we, we're not positive, but it'd be very much the same way. Now, is that weird? Uh, no, not, not at all. Not at all. We had two qualified people. They're asking God to choose through prayer. And this is the last time it's utilized because at this point, now we have church leadership that's going to come into place as a result of Pentecost. But it would be like, okay, justice is heads. Can't think of it. Mattathias is tails. Well, we have tails. And Mattathias is the new disciple. Uh, the apostle, I'll say it that way. The difference between a disciple is a follower. All of you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ and you want to be more like him, you are a disciple. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. An apostle is one that's sent out. And a true apostle in the clearest, purest form is the fact that he saw Jesus Christ through the entire ministry and to his ascension and was chosen personally by Jesus Christ. That is a very narrow window, isn't it? We have no apostles today. We have a lot of disciples, thankfully. So Mattathias, you know what you know about Mattathias is about the same that I know. Tradition has it that he actually went to be kind of a missionary type into the Black Sea under the, uh, what would be called, the pro uh, not the province, the uh, Georgia of Russia, the country of Georgia, I'd say that. And there's actually a gravestone there that 
is thought to be him. He was martyred. He was killed for his faith. He stood the very same thing just like all of the other disciples. Um, and again, that's the largest living testimony to me of everything in the sense of confidence. For me now, this is confidence for me. Uh, we spoke of Ernie, like, you know, one in 30,000. There was 120 people in that room. And if you just took Israel by itself, one person was, was responsible for 30,000. That would be like sending Ernie to Butte, 30,000 people. That Ernie, that's your deal. The confidence level you have to have is amazing. It, it is amazing. Now, they saw Jesus Christ risen. What makes me stand before you today is the fact of how did those 12 apostles, in this case, I can say 12, Mattathias took Judas Iscariot's position. How did those 12 men die? Every single one of them, aside from John the Apostle, were martyred. They were killed for their faith. Now, if I was going to put the names of those 12 on this board, and in every single case, they would have had the opportunity to say, you know what? That Jesus is a big lie, ultimately. And I, I'm going to, you know, you're telling me that if I refute that Jesus was the deal, then you're going to let me live. Yep, that's the deal. You can live. If you, if you literally back away from Jesus Christ, you're, you're free to go. Or, make sure I get it right, if I believe he's really true, he's really the deal, he rose from the dead, I saw him, then you're going to kill me. You got it, buddy. That's it. That's the deal. That's it right there. Now, how many of the 12 would literally say, if it was a lie, if that was totally fraudulent, would not say, you know, I think it's, he was a fraud, if he was. Now, when 11 died for their faith, that has my attention. That means everything that he said was true. Now, what do you say? Well, how about the 12? How about John? I can't speak to it from Scripture, but the tradition has it that literally the guy in power tried to boil him in oil and it didn't work. I don't know what that looked like. But he said, you know what? I can't kill this guy. So I'm going to do the next best thing. I'm going to exile him to a little island that there's nobody on. He can't do any damage if he's by himself. And I am so proud to tell you, or glad, that's a better word, Glad to tell you, the last book in your Bible is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where it was written. Now, do you think that John the Apostle made an impact, even when he was not supposed to? All 12 of those men, Mattathias taking Judas Iscariot's spot. You talk about a touchdown. Those guys spoke with their lives. Isn't that what we're called to do as well? To speak with our lives. That's integrity at its highest level. Now, the really cool thing is, you know what they were waiting for? They were waiting for the scripture to be fulfilled in the sense that Judas Iscariot had to be replaced by another apostle called Mattathias. And guess what happens next week to you is we're going to look at Pentecost. We're going to see where literally the power of the message of which you have confidence in allows the world to be reached for Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Ghost coming on all of those that have trusted Christ as Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Every single one. Now, I want to make this. It just popped in my head right now again. Did they receive, what were they praying for? There were those that would say that you pray for the Holy Spirit, that it's a request. You're praying for the Holy Spirit. If I'm not praying for the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to get the Holy Spirit. There are people that believe that today. Okay. Now, let's go back and see what Jesus' words were. Okay. Let's go back to chapter 1 of Acts, and let's take a peek. 
We'll start in verse um, 3. Acts 1.3. Now watch carefully how it's described. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Now none of those are stated, but apparently was well worth it because the disciples licked it up. Being seen of them 40 days. For 40 years post-resurrection he is, and before ascension, he is teaching, he's speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, if you pray. Stop me. It's not there. It's not there. That was going to happen because the Father promised it. The Holy Ghost was coming because the Father promised it, not because you prayed for it. The prayer was literally of one accord so that they could unanimously, in unison, take the message with power, with confidence, to the entire world. The Holy Ghost was the power which you go through. If you're a Christian today and, you know, I just, I just don't have any strength. I mean, it's just like, a, it's just like I'm, ah, stymied. Now I'm not talking about physical strength. I'm just talking about strength against in spiritual warfare. I need the Holy Spirit. No, you have him. The question is, how much of you does he have? <laughs> That's the difference. Who are you yielding to? Are you yielding to the flesh or are you yielding to the spirit? Now, it's like someone would say, who are you feeding? Let's say you have two dogs. Which dog's going to get the biggest? The one you feed the most. How do you feed the Holy Spirit? The word of God. The more you read, the more you consume of the Word of God, the stronger the Spirit comes because He teaches, He admonishes, He builds you up. He makes you and conforms you to the image of Jesus Christ. How? Through the power of the Word of God. That's what strengthens you from the inside. That's the key. Who are you feeding today? The apostles, you know what, you know what they were doing at, the, at the, the Last Supper? They were feeding themselves, weren't they? Not just food. They were feeding themselves. They were lifting themselves up. Who's going to be the greatest? You know what they were doing here just prior to the Pentecost? They were wanting to get it right. They wanted to be on tune, on fire for God. They wanted to be re ready to receive the thing that would give them power to accomplish the witnessing. That, that's a massive job. And by the way, you guys are just as responsible for the job that was given to them back in Acts chapter 1. Jesus passed the baton not only to them, but they've passed it to you. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, the world needs to hear what Jesus Christ has done. He died for your sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. That is the best news I could possibly think of. I want to share with this. I've shared with another group. But literally, it's not just good news. That's what gospel means. If I was going to write the word gospel up here, which I will, we would say that's good news. But it's more than that. The word that was used there in, in, uh, in we were studying, that was the, it was the men's Bible study. In Colossians chapter 1, that word that's gospel we find in chapter 1, the word that we have, we get from it, is actually evangelize. That would be the best word. That word in the Greek came from someone that was the messenger at a battle. So think of this, no cell phones, no internet, no nothing. I mean, no nothing. So how would you know when your husband, your brothers, all of those from the city of what went off to do battle with the neighboring state, city, it shared in doing battle with Alder? Okay, got it? 
Got, that, that's pretty good. Okay. So how would you know who won? You got to wait. And you're looking on the horizon or somewhere, right? And here comes that person that's the fastest messenger you have. You sent him to just check on things. When you know what's happened, you come back and tell us, right? That's, <laughs> you know, cell phone, who won? No, it's not like that. The messenger had to run the victory news, if you won, back. That word evangelize or gospel literally would have been that person that said, we won, we were victorious, we beat the enemy. It's news from victory, not just good news, it's news from victory. Isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ did when he conquered death? It's the most significant thing we could possibly even imagine. It's over, it's done, it's won. That's the message he's asking you to pass on. Are you up for it? Not until you get the power of the Holy Spirit. Questions or comments? So the, the Apostle Paul, then, your definition isn't truly the... How does that work? Was he an apostle? Yes. yes. Yes, he was. Was he chosen by God? Yes. Did he see the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. But, the, but, but, but th this is... Oh, actually, that's, a, that's a great question. Because one of the things, there's a, there's a controversy out there. Was Mattathias really God's choice, or was Paul the apostle, the 12th apostle? Okay? But if you look at how Peter described the, the, um, the qualifications, Paul would not have qualified, because he did not see Jesus Christ from his baptism to his ascension. Mattathias and Justice had. However, Paul was an apostle. Not one of the twelve, but he was apostle because he was chosen on the road to Damascus and he saw the risen Lord. Remember that? Who are you in that blinding? <laughs> so those two things absolutely fit. But this situation to close out the twelve, Paul's not that guy. He's not that guy. The twelve apostles of which will have those twelve thrones in the millennium judging the twelve tribes of Israel, Mattathias will be that twelfth person. That's a great question. though. Anything else? There would have been other people that would have been described as apostles. Uh, Barnabas, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching a little bit, but there would have been a handful that would have been apostles. Now, the word apostle itself means sent out one. Okay? Barnabas was certainly that person. There were others that were sent out. But when we talk about the apostles of Jesus Christ, that's a very distinct group and qualified by what Peter literally laid out. But if, and today there are those, there's, there's a movement called the apostolic movement. If you dig into it, they believe they're on the same level as the apostles of Jesus Christ. That's, just, that's scary. That's out there. So it, the word that's probably better used is, again, what I would say for us today is a disciple of, a follower of Christ, right? When you say the word apostle, you need to be very clearly delineating what you're, how you're approaching it. Because the apostles were the foundation of the church. They were the ones that built that foundation. That's how Jesus Christ did it. He said, upon this rock, this truth of which would come from Peter, remember in Matthew chapter 16, Peter wasn't that rock. The message was the rock, but he used the apostles to literally begin the church. That's what's going to happen next week as we go to Pente the, 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 um, the Feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They are the beginning. Peter gives the first sermon. The fisherman, the guy that didn't go to seminary, the guy that didn't have any training, he literally, 3,000 souls come to Jesus Christ. 
And he speaks a very short message. Why? Because the Holy Spirit gifted him to really speak the message of truth, the gospel, the victory news. Okay? Does anybody consider Mary as an apostle? I would say not considered as an apostle. They would see, depending on the religion, they would see her as a co-redeemer. There are people that pray to Mary. Mary has an elevated level to a lot. Of, that's why I spent some time on this, on the, the mother-baby or the mother-son uh, thing, which goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Mary and Jesus being that co-redemptive um, situation, it didn't start with her, with Mary, that is. It started way back at the Tower of Babel. Semiramis, which would have been the, the wife of, of Nimrod, Tamaz is the one, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm repeating myself now, but ultimately, uh, anyone that makes anyone co-redeemer, that, that's a false religion. I, I have to say that clearly. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is deity. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He's a 100% man so that he could take the wrath of God on the cross in an innocent form because he never sinned. But it would take God to be able to receive that, to be that. Everything was needed to fulfill that, that penalty, shall we say. And if you, make, if you make Jesus Christ any less God, or any less man, or any less death, or any less risen by himself solely. In fact, I'll say it this way, the scripture alone. Uh, th this is really good. If you're thinking about how do I handle the scripture, think of it this way. Traditions and opinions have no weight in comparison to the Bible. None. Most of what we're talking about is this went forward with traditions. That is of Tamas and Semiramis and Ashtaroth and, Ashtaroth and Baal and all of those other mother-son kind of things. Those are traditions that we carry through. They're not biblical. It's, it's scripture alone. By grace alone, that's God's work. He did it all. Nothing you added to it. Through faith alone, that's the way you access grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's the only way you can access salvation. That's the package of grace can only be accessed through faith. And faith is trusting, leaning on, placing your entire everything on grace in Christ alone. Scripture alone by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that God is glorified alone. That is literally those, those tenets are what it is all about. If you add to that, then you've made another gospel. That was a really long answer to a really good question. It was, yep. Because Mary was just as human as we are. She was not God. She needed a savior. She needed, she's, she's actually there. She's going to receive the Holy Spirit next week at Pentecost. She's one of the 120. And she, Jesus' four brothers. This is really cool to watch this whole thing, the scriptures speak to us. She's just like we are. And she knew it. She's holding her savior. Remember? Think of that for a moment. She's given birth to her savior, ultimately. As he died on Calvary's tree, He's buried, and he's risen from the dead. She now, she now is in a room praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit of which her son promised would come when he would leave. <laughs> that is amazing. That's amazing. Okay, I've gotten long-winded as that's not rare. That's not rare.
Okay, any other questions or comments? We are at, this is, this is all literally, what we're going to do next week as we get into the Pentecost, the beginning of the church, we will end a dispensation. We will end a time frame of which the law has been commanded. It's been part of showing Jesus, and now Jesus will be fully, completely, 100% in charge of beginning the church. And the Holy Spirit is the, is the force, it, I don't want to use that word, is the power behind it that literally rises from within of a, in us to strengthen the message as we have confidence through Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your message. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that we can trust it alone. Father, it is. It's above traditions. It's above opinions. It's above cultures. It's above anything else. What we believe needs to line up with the scripture. If it doesn't, then we need to change. The scripture alone is inspired. In fact, Peter even talked about it, that the Holy Spirit spoke through David. All scripture is is given as, as inspiration. It's all usable. It's all inspired by the Holy Ghost as he spoke through the writers. Father, we're truly blessed to be able to have it, to be able to go to the Word of God knowing that it is that. Father, each of these here today, they've got their lives that they're living. The journey you have them on, the steps they take will be very different from one another, but they're just as important to you as they come in contact with other people. Other places, Father, I'd ask that you would instill within them the power of the Spirit, that they would be filled with the Spirit, that they would live and walk in the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit would be apparent in their lives. Father, you know, you know their problems, you know their situations before they even do. You care for them, wrap your arms around them. Father, the trials that they no doubt will be going through, that it will make them stronger and more mature. Go with us, Father. Give us what we need and help us to glorify you. In Jesus' name.